So hi everyone, welcome to Architecture in the Den and this week I'm delighted uh, to be welcoming Danny Kerr. Um, we're going to be talking about atypical architects. So Danny, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, um, my name's uh, Danny Kerr and uh, I'm an architect. So that, that's the short version. Um, the long version is that I've got quite a colourful past of various different careers involving manufacturing industry and finance and stuff. And my main activity at the moment is um, teaching architecture. That's, that's what I mainly do. Awesome. So um, what's, um, what inspired you to go into architecture in the first place? Well, I, I actually always wanted to be a designer of sorts. So I wasn't quite sure what. Um, and as, as I said before, I had, had uh, quite a number of different careers, but I, I actually graduated in physics first and I ended up in manufacturing industry uh, as an industrial researcher. But that, that did involve a bit of metal bending and jumping in and out of test rigs. But it's only when I found myself stuck in the financial sector that I realised, now I need to actually make the break and really be clear about, yes, I want to design creatively. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was just going past so many construction sites, which fascinates me. I've got a very strong innate, I suppose, an innate sense of place. And it just says, yes, I know, I know what I need to be. <laughs> and I was absolutely right, an architect, yeah. And so um, what route did you go in? Did you, where did you study? Oh, right. Well, actually, I, I, I did everything from scratch. Um, so I made some inquiries. And what I was told was what you need is, you know, well, let's see your, your portfolio. I thought, what's one of those? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went to Art and Design Foundation course. I went, went to Halifax School of Integrated Design. and They did a year foundation in that. Uh, I learned how to draw and paint and take photographs and all that vocabulary that we use in, in, in Art and Design. And then I, I, I went to Huddersfield University and, and I did me part one, part two and part three all the way through Huddersfield University and I haven't looked back. Brilliant. So um, was there anything when you were doing your art and design course, were you tempted to veer off again? Well, that's quite interesting because, yeah, I mean, the, the foundation is, is designed to give you exposure to various different aspects of art and design. And every time I contemplated that, I, I, it was so easy for me. I said, oh, yes, yes, I've done this, so this means I'm going to do architecture. <laughs> so it just time. kind of like <laughs> qualified yeah. the, the fact that you wanted to carry on and, and, and do it. Yeah, it was, it was so clear, really. Yeah. So did you go through in, in your seven years? So your three no, year degree? Um, I think what it is, I mean, we, we say it's a seven year program, but it's quite, it's quite typical for, for most people on average, I think about 10 years, isn't it? Because we get distracted and it's not, but we're distracted outside of architecture. We're actually distracted within it. So for me, it was, um, I took a, on my stage one experience uh, after my degree, I just got involved in an excellent project. Um, so I spent two, instead of one year, I spent two years full time. And then, because uh, I've got a young family, it made sense to carry on on a part time basis. Uh, and so my master's degree, I sort of spread over uh, three years rather than, rather than two. And then once I got into, into practice, so it, I'm a stage two experience, so I was so involved and so busy that it's like you're hunting around for a suitable case 
study for, 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 your, for my professional studies and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and I was so determined to do it well, I wasn't going to settle for any old thing. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it took 10 years, but it's, it's 10 years solid, solid, you know, um, stuff. Yeah. Mm, where did you do your part threes? Was that uh, the RIBA Northwest? No, at Huddersfield as well. So we, we, we're quite unusual. We've got our own. Um, I'm not sure if they still got it. I'm pretty sure they have. But yes, we had our uh, our own uh, part three program. Um, so he, I actually was doing my experience at BDP in Manchester, and so pretty much everybody at that point, of part twos, were, were were doing their exams through Northwest. And so I said, no, I'm I'm just off to do my exams at Huddersfield. <laughs> you know, for some reason I was so really loyal. Yeah, that's cool. So we we met. Where did we meet? It was about ten years ago. Yes, it was the sole practitioners. Um, so the SPG wasn't it? Sole practitioners group in Nutsford, Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and you were and chair then, at the time. Yes. And yes. I I was just uh, starting out as a sole practitioner. And so and under your 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 guidance and you know very experienced practitioners, I, I was able to you know um do some sole practitioner which is which is an extremely challenging thing to do and you know without the the support of uh your colleagues it's you know i'm not quite sure how i've been able to do it really yes well i think that's one reason why we've uh, i set up pride road because mm -hmm. once i'd kind of mastered the art of of running uh, a sole practitioner business um i then sort of decided well realized that there was a a, a huge lack of uh, training in architecture around the business of architecture and um and and sort of used it as an opportunity to um set up the franchise just so i can offer that experience to other people because i know we're both very supportive of kind of architects uh, in the industry yeah absolutely yeah um i mean I, I i always want people to hear about the the franchise and i think this um i mean it was you know i think quite right stemming from the sole practitioners group it's, it's an excellent model and it's what we need to do and it it was also part of my efforts within the branch network the riba branch network as well so being involved uh, with the Huddersfield Society of Architects and trying to link. So we, we haven't got uh, the largest population of uh, architects in our region, um, but we do, as I say, we've got the university. And so what we did is uh, mostly channel funds towards the students so that they could actually do public facing projects. And if the students are doing public facing um, projects, that that uh, piques the interest of the public and therefore they're interested in the, the value of good design is always the message. So go and employ an architect, yeah. So, yeah, and, and I, I remember it was a, a few years ago when you invited me across to Huddersfield to come and speak at the uh, Women in Architecture event. That's right, yes. So th th this, is, this, is, this is really interesting. As, as people are probably aware, I'm a, I'm, I'm a trans woman. I've, I actually started, uh, I came out um in professional circles um i don't know five or six years ago I, I can't quite remember um so it's been fantastic to be welcomed into you know women in architecture it's been brilliant for me so i've, I've 
try to do my best to to um, to, to to be part of what we do. Uh, so I organised uh, a symposium for women in architecture at Huddersfield University again. And uh, yes, Lisa, you you are our opening speaker, which is <laughs> brilliant. And I, I remember, yes, we had Jane Duncan, who was uh, president of the RABA at the time, was our, our keynote speaker. And her topic was uh, architecture for all, um, which is very close to my heart. So, you know, we we still, and I, I, I know you campaigned on this as well, we, we still have um, a distance to go yet before we see parity in our, in our profession. We're working on it, there is progress, uh, but we're, we're certainly not to the end of the road yet, are we? Absolutely. Um, and I'm really appreciative of, of being invited over as the opening speaker, and that's on my CV. <laughs> Brilliant, yes. But equally, you were your um, you were and are still a role model for the RIBA. Uh, yes, that's right. So that that's that's part part of that that suite of activities. Um, so when I came out at that time, um, RIBA Yorkshire said, "Oh right, okay. Would would you like to be involved in that? You can apply to be an RIBA role model." And I said, "Well, me, I'm I'm not anybody special." And they said, "That's the point. You know, you know, you you can show that you know you're just a person, just like everybody else, and you, you do the job just like everybody else." Uh, so I got involved, and um, I, I have to say it was quite instrumental in me sort of be, being able to be who I am in the in the uh, in the profession. So it was very important to me. We're actually still using that model. I'm involved in equality and diversity initiatives at Sheffield University now, and we're, we've just been looking at the role model model mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to to now um, use that within the School of Architecture uh, as a way of, you know, um, uh, yeah, get, getting a more inclusive profession, start, starting in the Schools of Architecture, yeah. So um, I do want to touch on kind of being um, a trans ally. And um, I think the question is, how can people support uh, transgender people? How can we be allies? Yeah. Well, you know, Lisa, thank, thank you for the question. Um, just, 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 uh, can, I, can I just say you're a fantastic trans ally and uh, um, just doing this. So, I mean, you, you invited me along to be part of this and that, that's, that speaks volumes. So be, being a trans ally is, is quite, quite a straightforward thing. It's you will associate professionally with transgender people mm-hmm. and you will enable them to be visible Mm-hmm. and you will enable them to have a voice and so and it, actions very simple actions you know making a recommendation because somebody's a great, great architect and a great teacher and so th- those are the simple things um does that make sense mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely because i know um so i've i i don't know whether i've spoken about this on on our podcast but um my son's transgender so and he came out six years ago seven years six years ago so that's been um yeah. quite a quite a journey <laughs> so, how, how have you found that Lisa as, as a parent um um as a parent I, I just you just want to support your kids really yeah exactly so you know 
whatever they want to do. Um, it's just about listening and supporting. Um, and, you know, some of it's been tough because you're challenging um, the sort of NHS journeys and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, and so a lot of it is about, for me, keeping keeping Alex going to a certain extent, you know, whilst yeah. going on a very, very long journey and looking for the positives and also looking out for, you know, great role models. Um, so actually, you know, I do look around for role models like you in, yeah. you know, um, in, in society. Um, and that helps me just have something to aspire towards um yeah there's kind of like a couple it's um of other role models who've been amazing uh jake graff and hannah winterborn yes that's right yeah i've been i've been following them on uh on facebook yes <laughs> yeah they're awesome um alex was invited well jake's um a filmmaker um and he invited Alex to be in one of his films so oh, yeah. um, it's a, a film called Listen where Alex was acting as a it, it was about school children's experience um, so kind of like one of the first films about it's on YouTube about um, kind of just issues transgender issues being a yeah a kind of teenager um so yeah that that was really really felt really empowering as well just um allowing alex to talk about it and we're quite vocal in the media as well in fact um because I think you know, hopefully that I can I can model some good parental behaviour and just go, you know, this is um, this is normal. This is a route. This is you know we can deal with it um, in a positive way. And uh, we should be in the Saturday Telegraph magazine this weekend. Oh, marvelous! Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. yeah. they they wanted to do a piece kind of from parents' point of view. We were in um, Good Housekeeping a couple of years ago as well. There was a big piece, which was really nice. And, and that was kind of like talking Excellent. to grandparents, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I saw um, the um, Jake Grass film with Alex in it. Um, and the important thing about it is it's, 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 um, it's giving voice to people's experiences. And so let, letting people speak for themselves mm. what their experience can be. And that, that sort of brings us back to architecture, really, because what, what we need to do as architects is really understand other people's lived experience. You know, um, it, it's so important in how we teach architecture. It's so important how we practice architecture. You know, we, we, uh, our greatest tool is our, our, our capacity to listen. Mm. And, and I'm sure, Lisa, when, when you're in sole practice, it's not all about drawing. You need to have that conversation, don't you, with clients and listen to them very, very carefully. Yes, yes. And it's, it's their story and their narrative is, is, is what we're serving. So as a profession, we've got to have that capacity. So 
he seems to be like a um a bit of a no-brainer really as a profession that we would be that people-orientated listening uh, narrative-based uh, type of profession and so that that draws draws us in or, or different people in the profession because we then have those different perspectives as as practitioners and teachers mm. I, I think that, that that phrase lived experience is really important yes. um and you know kind of taking you know we're used to kind of reading researching kind of like general facts that you can apply to certain situations you know you refer to the new metric handbook for sort of various turning circles and how you should lay this out and how you should lay yeah. that out it wasn't until i started practicing on my own that you actually had to deal with people and their lived experience ah, ah. That's so rather than making all those generalizations yeah um and i think you know maybe that's something that we should put forward more in the riba you know it is yeah. talking about actual experiences and stories and that lived experience rather than these are the rules and the you know this, this is the geometry of the exercise yeah i think the schools of architecture are getting better at this so with the, there's quite a number of live projects that i mean everybody gets excited because people think oh that's because we're going to do something real we're going to make something with real materials but actually the reality is attached to the reality of the client narratives you know, so we get our students, you know, in front of real clients mm. and what we're really mentoring them with is, is those relationships. And of course, we ourselves are learning all the time as well, I think. Yeah, certainly I am. Yeah. Mm. I mean, how, how would you go about, I suppose it's talking to clients and how do you draw out kind of, um, mm their requirements and their experiences that's a really great question uh, I'm, I'm sure different architects have slightly different methods depending on you know how, how you are as a communicator what, what your skill set is but also in response to the, the, the actual personalities of your clients as well so it's, sometimes it's like you're, you're having that conversation and may, maybe your clients don't quite realize what you're doing <laughs> So you might be having a, a nice conversation about a family and you're, you're carefully noting about, you know, number of rooms. <laughs> you know, oh, teenagers off to university, are they? <laughs> you know, and things mm -hmm. like that. But actually, you, you, you know, and it, you can be open to that. Oh, actually, you know, that's really useful for me to know because it means this. And mm -hmm. hopefully they cotton on and they go, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. And then they start volunteering. And oh, yeah, this might be a factor you know, in the way that we live and, you know, uh, how we are. Mm. Uh, that might help you yeah i mean I, I in in pride road we've got a briefing form and it's incredibly thorough well i'd like to think it was quite thorough and and i was asking a client this morning i was starting to ask her about her other half who wasn't present on the on yeah. the call um it was like you know i was you know asking for contact details she's like why do you want to know i'm like well you know if it develops into a project then we need to know you know we need a second set of contact details um and then another question on my list is is what do you do for a living 
and yeah. you know sometimes I get you know well I'm you know just I'm a housewife or something like that I'm like well actually what did you train as um or, you know what did you study and it starts yeah. to give you an insight into personality of course and you start start to know how someone's going to be as a client whether they're going to be you know meticulous uh, with an eye for detail or they they kind of like over want to sort of more of a dreamer or want inspiration yeah and what methods of communication you need to provide so whether yeah. it's visual or factual or financial <laughs> Yeah, indeed. There's, well, there's so many different factors to what they, we do. You know, I mean, uh, it's such an integrated topic, uh, all these things. So what, what we're doing for our clients is bringing together all those complexities, isn't it? So it, mm. make, it makes it easier and streamlined for them. And we, do, we carry the burden of that, that load. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you designed your own house, didn't you? Uh, yeah, actually, that's where I'm sat at the, the, the moment. I'm, I'm actually in one of the more humble spaces right now. I'm just, I'm just in my, uh, my, my, my own humble bedroom at the moment. But uh, <laughs> it's not so bad, is it? Nice, nice, uh, clear story glazing up there, top of a red wall. It's quite nice. Wow. Well, I, um, I live in a, a sort of standard 1930s semi that someone else has extended, and I've not unfortunately had chance to touch. <laughs> So I'm extremely jealous. Oh wow, well, you know, hopefully I'll be able to stop here and stuff. You know, but it's it's been a privilege to live here. You know, I have to admit, I've been in been in the house for about ten years. Yeah. So what's the story of your house? So when did you how how did you find the plot? How did you design? Oh wow. Yeah. So I was actually working at BDP as a part two, studying for my. Um, professional studies where when I actually gained the planning consent for it Mm. Um, you might think well that's a bit forward isn't it because you know somebody's still doing their studies to to be trying to build their own house but I'm I'm, I'm slightly advanced in age so (laughs) that's my excuse but actually um, it was that it was actually a garden plot so um, we used to live next door in an end terrace a stone built in a Yorkshire village and I'd had my eye on the garden for a long time, I have to admit. And uh, when we first moved here, I wasn't an architect. You know, I was, I was, I, I was still working in the bank, you know. And uh, yeah. um, But by the time I'd done all these studies, that's a plot, isn't it? So I, I got it all together. And, you know, once, you know, both of us were, were working, we realised that actually we could leverage the whole thing. And uh, yes, it, it was. I think it was a seven-year project end to end, simply because of life getting in the way and stuff. You know, but that's how long it took before we we we, we eventually got there. Yeah. So how did you go about purchasing the land? Oh well, it's already our garden. We we did. Oh, actually, so it was your garden. Yeah. So we we had to buy an extra bit off the local authorities, um, which was slightly at the other end of the plot, and that was traumatic because um, it was an eighteen-month process. And then there was a little bit of a, a mess up, shall we say, and they wanted to charge him some more money. And then we had to go through the process for another 18 months. So it took, it took um, three years to buy 40 square meters <laughs> just at the end of the plot so the project could work. Um, but that just gave me more planning and design time, I think. <laughs> but it was so stressful. did you then split it into two title deeds? 
Uh, yes, so we, we did in the end sell the old house. So yes, so we uh, did all the conveyancing work. Um, yeah, so it's, it's all part of the process. But the interesting thing is, is that you can get self-builder mortgages, we leveraged everything. Um, we're able to value the land with, with planning consent on it. We were able to leverage the value in the original house. And as, as the project progressed, we could add more value to it to leverage the loan on the next bit. So it's called staged mortgage. Mm -hmm. And this, this is, um, again, this is knowledge that uh, an architect has, you know, so in terms of ways to finance a project and different methods, those, those are all, all, all things. Although we can't give direct mortgage advice, we can suggest there are models you can talk to your mortgage provider about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, so you bought, well, you had the plot. How easy was it to get planning? Oh, that was interesting. Actually, it was, it was reasonably straightforward. I mean, I, I've actually done a presentation on the house called How Did You Get Planning for That? Because mm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what somebody said. They walked past the house and went, how do you get planning for that? <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite straightforward. Um, there's always a presumption for sustainability in in uh, in local authority uh, planning office so so um yeah i mean if it's a low energy house you get presumption of sustainability um so you know sometimes you know if there's a modern design you know there might be reaction but we're not in the conservation area and so if it's uh, it's a good design uh, low energy and it's a complete package of information with a good design statement so there wasn't any anything special we had to do to be honest mm. you know it was, it was it was fairly standard though i do have to admit we did actually have a, a wind turbine in it which they mm. could do it. so i thought maybe that was a nice little uh, red herring for them to chase while we hummed and armed about that was the build a traditional build no um it was sort of part and part so it's that is we've actually got a very uh steep topology so the we've got a good one story difference between the front and the back across the short section uh so the ground floor is semi-basement and it's a traditional mm -hmm. masonry construction so we wouldn't frighten off every contractor um but the first floor is a timber frame mm -hmm. um and that's sort of arrived on the on the truck in cassettes uh and that that got uh, erected very very quickly indeed yeah so it's yeah so it's a, what we call hybrid construction and what what contract did you use uh which contract well mm. this is quite interesting um the i i, I would of course per, um prefer to use a jct minor works or something like that but actually we used a funny enough a federation of master builders yeah contract on this project <laughs> which so you have a main a main contractor dealing yeah. with the yeah but the main thing was was that I I wanted a single contractor who would be the single point of con contact yeah. with, a, with a fixed price agreement. That was that was my criteria, and uh, that meant any issues. And of course, there were issues that cropped up. You know that that came within the curtilage of the contractor. You know, so any, any issues would be sorted out. Yeah. So I've had a request for photos. Um, is it on a website anywhere that we can I think actually, if you bear with me, um, I can paste in a link if you just bear with me. 
maybe for those who are listening on a podcast. Um, so Danny's just doing a little bit of research. He's <laughs> staring at the screen. No, I've got it now. I've just copied it. Okay, so. I just need to come back to you now. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Can I paste in the chat? Yeah, go for it. Can you see that? Okay. That's yeah. a link to an online CV and it's got uh, some photos of house project. In Brilliant. There. So I'll paste that into the, because we'll be putting this out on YouTube and on Podbean as, a, as an audio podcast. So I'll, I'll paste it into the description, but um, I can spell it out. It's HTTPS um, colon forward slash forward slash lowercase cv19dlk.weebly that's w-e-b-l-y dot com forward slash I think that that's it isn't it cool that's correct yes <laughs> brilliant well I, I I think we're heading to the end of the podcast <laughs> we've kind of um we've explored quite a few topics here i'm loving it so what advice um would you give um to um uh architects who want to be more inclusive that's yeah ah yes uh, it, it's an interesting question that i mean there's there's different dimensions of inclusivity isn't there so so, you know, if you're an architect and you're working in a very large practice and you're a partner at director level is, is to make sure you've got proper opportunities to employ a more diverse range of people. That's really important. You are, you are allowed to take positive action. You know, that's lawful. So please do that. Uh, so how, how, what would be an example of positive action? Yes, so I think it can be to do with making sure that your advertising for, for adverts is reaching a wide range of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, also giving yourself the opportunity to uh, interview a wider range of people as well. So actually talking about adverts, so where would you place adverts? Um, so it's, I have to confess it's not my, my, my area. <laughs> Sorry, I, I think that you, this is research that you'd have to do. So if you're interested in, in positive action, then then actually some of the, uh, if you look at the Equalities Act 2010, you can see where the, where the protected characteristics are. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is a lot of the, the groups that uh, have um, protected characteristics, there's lots of associations, societies and publications because, because when you're in these these groups, you need you need to liaise with each other to, to, for that mutual support. It's important mm. to get on. So yeah, you you can advertise in, in these in these locations. It's, it's, mm. it's not a problem. And a lot of a lot of these are actually professionally orientated as well. So I know for a fact, you know, in in, in uh, for, with transgender people, we we associate professionally as well. You know, there, there's although there isn't a specific journal, I don't think. <laughs> You know, we we want to get on professionally. We'll support each other. So we can we can find ways to, and there's there's other organisations. You can ask Stonewall, for example, if you if you if you, if you want to make sure you've got outreach to the LGBT community, mm. just ask Stonewall, and they'll tell you. And that's a really good idea because I think it's 
you know, I'd, I'd like to think Pride Road is is inclusive. So maybe I should yeah. reach out. To and also, uh, certainly in the northwest, ask the uh, LGBT Foundation mm. because they're based in Manchester, and so they're, they're a good organisation. They may, may have um, uh, information on on uh, how to go about that with, with more with probably with, with better advice than me. Probably I'd, I'd expect you. <laughs> But um, no, that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Danny. You're Is very welcome. Anything else you'd like to add or ask before we close up? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd just like to say thank you, really. I'd like to say, you know, thank you uh, to, to you for inviting me and our audience for listening. And, you know, anybody that's going to be listening to the podcast, you know, if they want to get in touch with me um, on, on issues that have been raised, you know, I'm very, very happy to, to extend the conversation. Uh, and I'm sure they say if anybody wants to get in touch with you with respect to Pride Road. Absolutely. Thanks for the sales pitch. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks um, everyone for listening. And um, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to our YouTube channel and subscribe to our um, podcast. It's available on uh, Spotify and all other I think most other uh, podcast providers, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, and we'll be, um, as I say, we're, we're hosting a number of uh, podcasts going forward. I think next week we've got Grant Erskine talking about uh, being an entrepreneurial architect. So thanks again, Danny, and um, see you soon. Bye.